that you could see the road if you look down through the holes in the floor of the car. That would carry uh, 15 cases of Cobra beer maximum if you're driving on your own, some in the front seat, back seat, and in the boot. I mean, we parked the car a little ahead of the restaurants. We're so battered. Uh, but, you know, I believed in what I was doing. And uh, this brewery had set up a seafood exporting division in Kerala, in Cochin. And we said, no, no, we don't. We're not interested in seafood. Once we discovered it's a brewery that owned it, we actually want to import beer. This is my beer idea. Entrepreneurs have guts. The guts to do it in the first place, to take that leap, to cross that credibility gap. Hello, welcome to another episode of Inspire Pod with myself, Kurong Kang. We bring you the best interviews with real-life leading business people and entrepreneurs across different industries and fields. Today's guest was born in Hyderabad, India in 1961 into a Zoroastrian Parsi family. He moved to London on a scholarship once graduated, received a diploma in accounting and qualified as a chartered accountant. During a tour of India in the Cambridge Polo team, he started his first venture, which was to sell polo sticks from India to the UK and establish relations with Harrods and Lily Whites. Soon after, in 1989, he had the idea of a cool new beer, which had the refreshing qualities of a lager mixed with the smoothness and drinkability of ale to drink alongside food. Here, Cobra beer was born. Fast forward now, he has led Cobra to be renowned as one of the global leading um, beers for Indian beers and uh, has been awarded 111 Golden Grand Medals by Monday Selection and created a joint venture with Molson Cause in 2009. He's the Vice President of CBI, the founding chairman of the UK India Business Council and Lord of Chelsea, the first ever Zoroastrian Parsi to sit in the House of Lords. Today's guest is none other than Lord Curran, Billy Moria, CBE Deputy Lieutenant. How are you doing Lord Curran? I hope you're well. Very good, thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Um, great to have you, uh, especially, you know, appreciate it. It's quite quite busy time for a lot of um, businesses at present. And where we typically like to start is just really getting a good feel for, for our guests. Can you give us a bit of a background to your journey to, uh, prior to moving to the UK and starting uh, Cobra in 1989? I was brought up in India and my father was in the Indian Army and we moved around a lot. I went to seven different schools, including the Hyderabad Public School and then uh, Hebron School in Uti in the Nilgiri Hills, 8,000 feet high in South India. I uh, went to university in Hyderabad and graduated and did a degree in an honors degree in commerce, and then came to the UK. And I studied here for several years, uh, including, as you said, I qualified as a chartered accountant with what is today Ernst & Young EY in London, and I did a law degree at the University of Cambridge. Um, all the time, I always kept in very close contact with India. I've, I've gone back to India every single year since I came here as a student in the early uh, 80s and ever since, and now, of course, many times a year. Uh, and I love India. I feel equally at home in India as I do here in the UK. And my family uh, live in India, uh, my mother, my brother, my uncles, my aunts, so I've always uh, kept India very, very close to me and passionate about both countries, the UK and India. Brilliant. 
Right. And you, you mentioned there that, um, you know, where obviously your family were, you know, generals, your, you know, I believe your dad was a lieutenant general and also uh, your, your grandfather. Can you talk about uh, that history and being brought up in a family which, which had that, you know, army background and what effect that might have had on you growing up? I was very lucky to have been brought up in, in the army from birth. My father was commissioned into the Gurkhas and he commanded the 2nd, 5th Gurkha Rifles Frontier Force, which uh, was a very famous battalion that had won three Victoria Crosses in the Second World War. One was posthumous. Two of them survived and served with my father, uh, Gajay Gale and Adan Singh Rai, and they were legends, and I was lucky to know them from childhood. We brought up alongside them to be inspired by them, and these are living legends, uh, absolute heroes, and their bravery is beyond compare. And I was just so lucky to have, have, have that in my life. And my father was a great leader. I mean, he taught me so much about leadership, which I was lucky to learn at close quarters as he progressed through his career. Um, after commanding his battalion, he went on and progressed through the ranks to becoming Commander-in-Chief of the Central Indian Army. And that was 350,000 troops under his command. And he also was the head of the Gurkhas, the president of the Gurkha Brigade in India and colonel of the 5th Gurkhas. And the leadership lessons I've learned from my father have been absolutely amazing. To be cool, calm and collected in a crisis situation. Uh, to always not just lead a, an efficient team, but a happy and an efficient team. And I saw the way he treated his officers and his troops and how he praised them publicly, which was just amazing. And everyone always seemed very happy where my father was in command. And uh, to this day, I meet uh, officers who are now generals who remember meeting my father when they were junior officers as captains. And they may, may have met him for just 30 seconds or one minute, and they remember that encounter. And that makes me feel very, very proud of my father. That's incredible. And you, you touched upon leadership qualities there. Um, did that really you know, help you in, in your own journeys in business and entrepreneurship as well, learning that from your environments? Very much so. And uh, seeing, uh, seeing the way my father um, operated, the way he led and managed uh, was, was, was absolutely incredible. Uh, I, I'm so lucky to have had that exposure. And, and, and really in my family, his father was one of the um, few Indians who between the First and Second World Wars were commissioned as cadets at Sandhurst, the Royal uh, British Military Academy. And um, the, the motto, of course, of, of Sandhurst is, is serve to lead. And it's all about, they call the services. Why are the Army, Navy, Air Force called the services? Because they serve. And, and the, the concept of service leadership is, is so important where the Indian Military Academy, the, the credo of the Indian Military Academy is that your, the honor, safety, and welfare of your country comes first, always and every time. The safety and welfare of the troops you command comes second, always and every time. And your own safety and comfort and welfare comes last, always and every time. And the whole concept of service leadership is what I've learned. And my, my grandfather was commissioned out of Sandhurst in 1931. He met then another young Parsi who was studying at Birmingham University, learning how to fly without his father knowing, my great-grandfather knowing. That young Parsi was my mother's father. So these two young Parsis, one at Cadet at Sanders, one at Birmingham University, met little knowing they'd be in-laws 
fast-boarding a few years. Uh, and then my mother followed in my grandfather's footsteps and went to Birmingham University. Her brother went to the University of Birmingham. Now I'm Chancellor of the University of Birmingham. And my mother's father, after learning how to fly in the UK, when he went back to India, he didn't join the family business. He joined the Royal Indian Air Force as a pilot and served all the way through to the end of the Second World War. And now I'm an honorary group captain in the Royal Air Force as a member of 601 Squadron. And uh, again, it's such a pride for me that my, my grandfather was a squadron leader in the Royal Indian Air Force. That's incredible. Um, so much coming back full circle there as well. And um, at what moment, you know, whilst growing up or you know, further down your career, did you realise that entrepreneurship was the route which you wanted to go down? I wasn't sure if you look back when I left school, I was thinking of joining the services. And in fact, it was my father's father, Brigadier Bellamoria, who retired as a brigadier. Um, he, I was very close to him and he always took a great interest in my career. And he said, look, you've done pretty well academically. I think you will do well academically. And he persuaded me to go into a career in business um, as opposed to going down the service route. And my father, to be fair, never pushed me. I mean, I was exposed to all my life. I loved it and I could quite easily have gone and served. Uh, and I'm sort of making up for it now by being a deputy lieutenant and being in the Royal Air Force all these years later. Um, and then I made the decision to, to actually go, go into, into business. And, and that was a, a, you know, it was a career choice at a pretty early age um, of, of which route to take. And then once you embark on that route, there are other options that come up for you. Uh, so I, I qualified as a chartered accountant, which I, I, I found very, very useful as a professional qualification, the training. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a professional training that you, that you get when you train as a chartered accountant, which is the value of ethics and the importance of lifelong learning. Uh, the whole idea of being a professional and, and, and working in a professional manner, um, and let alone um, knowing finances inside out, which is very useful. And then my law degree taught me so much as well. I learned so much from, from the training of, of learning law, even though I never practiced law. And then you make the decision of, right, am I going to be an entrepreneur? Am I going to work in accounting as a career or law as a career or banking as a career? You have all these options. And I'd always wanted that blue sky. I've always, always um, wanted to, to start my own business. I knew I'd do that one day. I remember at, at Ernst & Young, my first day as graduate trainees, so talking to one of my friends I've met, never met before. He became a friend of mine. And he, we still remember... We were, at, we were taken to the bar, to the pub by the partners after our first day at work. And he said to me, I, I remember asking myself, what are you going to do when you, when you qualify? He said, I'm going to become a partner of, of the firm. And sure enough, he became a partner of Ernst Young. And he asked me, what do you want to do? And I said, I'm going to run my own business one day. And that's what I ended up doing. And we always remind ourselves of that conversation on our first day at work. But if you go back and you say, well, when did I first realize I had the traits of being an entrepreneur? It probably goes back to when I was eight years old and my father was commanding his battalion of Gurkhas in Kerala, in South India, and in Trivandrum. And we were, my brother and I went to the local, the best school in Kerala to this day. It's called Loyola School. It's a Jesuit school. You know, like the current Pope Francis is Jesuit. The headmaster was in his robes. The, a lot of the teachers were Jesuits in their robes. Very strict. 
I remember I got sent up to the headmaster because I brought comic books into school and my teacher sent me to the headmaster and I was caned by the headmaster. And then one day there was a, a, a rule that went around the school that everyone in the school, it was an English medium school, everyone would have to learn Malayalam, which is the language of Kerala. Uh, as a second language, we would all have to learn Malayalam. And so we were forced to go to the Malayalam classes. And I remember sitting in there as an eight-year-old saying, I don't want to learn this. I mean, nothing wrong with the language, but it's going to be of no use to me because my father's going to get posted out of here. And this language is only useful in this state. So I complained to my parents and they said, don't complain. Do as you're told, otherwise you'll get caned again by the headmaster. I went back to the Malayalam class and again, I was very unhappy and I said, this is a waste of time for me. I'm not going to get anything out of this. And then I realized I can keep, keep on complaining. And if I complain too much, I will get caned again. Where's the solution? So I went to my, my parents and I said, look, why can't I learn Hindi instead? Because you'll be posted somewhere else in India. Hindi is a national language. That's going to be useful to me. And I'm going to have to study Hindi later in my schooling. Why? They don't have Hindi teachers in this state. So you can't learn Hindi. But I planted a seed. My father went to speak to the headmaster. And within two weeks, we had a Hindi teacher hired. And there were 26 of us in the classroom. Other army officers, children, expat, corporate people's children, um, who all wanted to learn, the children to learn Hindi. And because of my protesting, um, we got a Hindi teacher. And so then I realized, the lesson learned then was like you could say I was a rebel, <laughs> um, but actually what entrepreneurs see problems, see gaps in markets and see solutions. So I could have complained and complained and complained. There's no point complaining. What's the solution to the problem? And uh, I learned that lesson looking back very young. That's fantastic. So uh, entrepreneur from the young day from being caned. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. And also I really like, you know, I think it's important for the audience to hear this as well. I really like how you mentioned, um, you know, you and your friend uh, EY, he mentioned he wanted to be a partner, went on to do that. You spoke about business and, you know, really putting it out there and following through can be you know, so important for anybody who wants to achieve any goals. And um, with, with regards to the actual startup then of Cobra Beers, how, how did you take the business from an idea in your mind right through to natural revenue and, you know, profit generating business? What, what did that startup look like? The first thing is you've got to take the leap of, of starting in business and being committed to it. Uh, I was lucky. I teamed up with my business partner, Arjun Reddy. Um, our families had known each other in Hyderabad for four generations. And uh, so there was a connection. We knew each other. Families knew each other. He was in England, I was in England. Um, and I had this big idea, the Cobra Bay idea. And we said, okay, let's start in business. And we were both working at the same and did the business part-time in the evenings over the weekends. And as you mentioned, like by importing polo sticks from, from India and we sold them to Harrods and Lily Whites and we built up experience importing product from India. We imported uh, leather and silk wallets and purses that we sold to Selfridges. We imported uh, gold embroidered silk garments from Mumbai, which we sold to boutiques, including Whistles, the chain Whistles, um, and built up experience sourcing products, selling, uh, and a bit of marketing. And the Cobra was the big idea. And then we got a chance introduction to the brewery in India, Mysore Breweries, uh, completely by chance, uh, through our mentor, my partner Arjun Reddy's uncle, Keshav Reddy, who was a retired wing commander 
um, who'd served with my grandfather in the Royal Indian Air Force. And he was our mentor based here in London. And we got a, an introduction through him to the biggest independent brewery in India, in Bangalore. And uh, we were in fact thinking of importing seafood at that time. And uh, this brewery had set up a seafood exporting division in Kerala, in Cochin. And we said, no, no, we don't, we're not interested in seafood once we discovered it's the brewery that owned it. We actually want to import beer. This is my beer idea. And we started from there. And then they, a lot of luck comes into the story. And the best definition of luck is when determination meets opportunity. If you're not determined, you will not even see the opportunity. And because I had this big idea there, it was too big for when we started. But the moment I saw the opportunity, ah, the owners of the seafood factory are Mysore breweries, the breweries of Powell's beer, which I'd come across in the Indian Army messes. I said to Arjun, forget the seafood, this is my beer idea. And sure enough, they were interested in exporting beer. And they said, look, we don't have a brand that is suitable for you. Um, we don't have a recipe of this beer that you are explaining to us that you want to be very smooth and to go with all food and go with curry and um, come here, sit with our brewmaster and develop the beer from scratch. And I took a bag full of bottles. In those days, you could carry liquid in your hand luggage. And I took 30 bottles of beer into a hand luggage, very heavy, <laughs> and um, sat in the laboratory with Dr. Kariyappa. They had the finest brewmaster in India whose great uncle was the first, was Field Marshal Karyapa, the first commander in chief of the Indian Army. And um, we sat in the laboratory and I tasted these beers with them, trying to convey the taste that I wanted of this product, this extra smooth, less gassy beer. And we created the recipe from scratch. And that's what Cobra has, this very intricate recipe of malted barley, rice, maize, wheat, three varieties of hops, and a complex recipe. And that's how we started. That's brilliant. And um, one thing that I think is really great that you mentioned there was um, you, you had a mentor who was your business partner's uncle. What importance was it, you know, for starting up a new business or moving forward in life to have that mentor above you and to, you know, be able to follow someone's guidance? It's very important. I think uh, it's absolutely essential. And we, we would go and see our mentor regularly and he, he would introduce, he introduced us to our first bank. He, he made, he would introduce us to other entrepreneurs and say, go and visit them. They might give you some advice and they, they would inspire us. These really successful business people who, because of our mentor, would give us an hour or two of their time and tell us their stories and show us around their businesses. And that would inspire us saying, one day we want to get to where they are. And, um, and he, would, he was fantastic. And, you know, he, he, we'd walk into his study, right, boys, tell me your problems. Oh, Uncle Kesha, we've run out of money again. <laughs> and... He would, he would always have a smile on his face and he was absolutely marvelous. So I think if you have a good mentor, particularly in your early days, it is absolutely priceless. That's fantastic. And um, you mentioned your go-to with your problems. Um, and I, I read um, you know, about yourself that you, you quoted that you, your business nearly went bust three times. And of course, now we're going through a challenging period for, for businesses as a whole. So how did you overcome those challenges you had? One of my favorite things is that good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So there's no shortcut to making mistakes. And I've made many, many mistakes. And you learn from your mistakes. What I've seen with crises is that they often will come out of the blue. They often 
black swan events um, that you cannot predict. And it's how you deal with crises that is, I found, um, the real solution. Um, every crisis is different, but the solution to me has always been the same. Three things have got me through those three times when I could have lost my business. And all, one of them was having a strong brand. And I think having a resilient, strong brand like Cobra has been amazing. In each of those three crises, our sales never went into negative. The growth may have slowed down, but the brand was strong and resilient. The second thing is having a loyal team supporting you. And I've got members of my team who've been with me for 25 years. Wow. I've got people who literally like Samson Sohel, who is my director in charge of sales for the whole ethnic restaurant industry, all the Indian, Bangladeshi, Sri Lankan, Nepalese, Pakistani restaurants, all the Turkish, Lebanese, Chinese, Thai, all of them. He looks after thousands of restaurants, hundreds of distributors. And he started off as a commission-only salesperson of an advert from the Evening Standard. He didn't even have a driving license. He used to get on public transport with samples of Cobra beer and sell them door to door. And today he is, has been a director of mine for years and is a legend in the industry. So it's, it's having people like him by my side, loyal team members that you can get through any crisis. My wife, who I met one year after I met after I started Cobra. I met Heather one year after I started um, Cobra Beer. She's been by my side through all the ups and downs of this business. Without her support, I wouldn't be here talking to you. So the support of your family, support of your team. And the third thing is how you behave, is in a crisis when you're under huge pressure. The test of leadership is not in the good times. The test of leadership is in the tough times and the bad times. And that's when you have to behave with integrity. That's when you have to play with a straight bat. That's when you say to yourself, it's better to fail doing the right thing than to succeed doing the wrong thing. And that's when you see people around you who are also in the crisis, often not behaving well, trying to take shortcuts, looking after themselves and not thinking of others. And because I think we behaved with integrity, uh, I think it helped us get through our crises. And the word integrity, the best definition was given to me by Lord Williams, Rowan Williams, who's now, who's been Master of Magdalen College, Cambridge, and was Archbishop of Canterbury. And he came to the Zoroastrian Center in Harrow. And as patron of the community, I welcomed him. And after my welcoming speech, he spoke and he said, Lord Bellamore has used the word integrity twice in his speech. And the Zoroastrian Parsi community are renowned for their integrity. And he said, the word integrity comes from the Latin and Greek words integer, integrum, which mean wholeness. You cannot practice integrity if you're fragmented in front of life. You can only practice integrity if you're whole and complete. And I've never forgotten. That's fantastic. I love that. And, you know, again, hopefully right now so many people can take that on with them and take that advice uh, through challenges coming up. And also speaking, um, you know, about those challenging times and also good times, and um, one of the things that we see is, you know, very important is that of mindset. And that probably links into what you spoke about with integrity. But, but what's your mindset been throughout, you know, ups and downs and, and, and throughout your business career? A few 
uh, traits, mindsets, attitudes. One is guts. Entrepreneurs have guts. The guts to do it in the first place, to take that leap, to cross that credibility gap when nobody knows you in those early days, nobody knows your brand, nobody knows your product. Why do people supply you, finance you, and buy from you when you have zero credibility? And they do those things if you have faith and passion and confidence and belief in yourself and your product and your brand that gives them the faith and confidence to give you a chance. So it takes guts to do that. And also it takes guts to stick with it when others would give up. And, and that's from the tough times. I think three times I nearly lost my business when you keep going. Never give up. The famous Winston Churchill, never give up. As the Queen, Her Majesty the Queen just said in her wonderful speech just now, never give up. And, and so I think that's one part of it is the guts. The other part is the leadership mindset. There, there's a leadership mindset of playing not to lose. So you'll quite often see this in, in a big bureaucratic organization where people will, their mentality is if the proposal comes to them, the first instinct is, why should I not do this? It's safer not to do it. Let's put it off. Let's plan for it for 2021 or 2022. Um, that's the playing not to lose mindset. Whereas the entrepreneurial mindset is the playing to win mindset. It's like, see an opportunity, run with the opportunity, make it happen, and make it happen fast. It's the sort of Nike, just do it. And that is the winning mindset. And I think that's the second thing. And the third thing is to have this attitude which we encompass in our motto. In fact, it's a part of it I borrowed from my great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather, B.D. Italia, who's inspired me a great deal because he built up a business in Hyderabad from scratch. He was a philanthropist. He was a public servant, um, great family man, looked after his very large family, became a member of the Rajya Sabha in India, the Indian equivalent of the House of Lords. So four generations later, I followed in his footsteps over here in the UK. And his, 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 his motto, my great aunt told me, was to aspire and achieve. And that's on my coat of arms after I joined the House of Lords, is to aspire and achieve is on my coat of arms. But at COBRA, we've extended that to, to aspire and achieve against all odds with integrity. And that's an attitude. It's like a definition of entrepreneurship, to come up with an idea, to want to get somewhere with the idea, to have all the odds stacked against you, to have little or no money or means, and to go out and make it happen, and make it happen with integrity. Fantastic, that's great. And um, before giving that um, great description, you mentioned something uh, called the uh, credibility gap. Well, what, what is that? So credibility gap is when you start in business, you are going in completely Nobody knows you. You have zero credibility. Nobody knows your brand. Nobody knows your product. So how do you, when you have no credibility and your product has no credibility, establish the fact that people will actually give you a chance to get off the ground, to buy from you, to supply you, to finance you? And to cross that gap, you have to have that passion and faith and belief in yourself, in your product, in your brand. And that gives people the faith to trust you to give you a chance. Fantastic. And um, at, at the top of the show, we, we mentioned, of course, you know, how, how you've really grown Cobra, but 
also um, you know doing so much yourself with other businesses and really supporting entrepreneurs and being involved in parliament as well was that ever part of your vision when you first started Cobra Beers that you wanted to you know manage so many different other things and you know, have involvement you know in other opportunities or, or did that just come as time went along when when you first start a business and you're getting a business off the ground it's very much absolutely head down working all hours of the day just focused on getting your business off the ground getting this plane to take off and and no business or very rarely are they overnight successes there's often a lot of work to be done before that plane takes off that can take several years and, and i think for the first for in our case i can remember the first eight years of my business career i was just focused on cobra uh, and, and and nothing else and it's only about eight years after I started that I started, I went to Cranfield Business School yeah. and attended the business growth program. And I realized the value, a mini MBA tailored to business. I realized the value of lifelong learning. I realized how important it was to get outside your business, to meet other entrepreneurs, to get ideas and exchange ideas with other entrepreneurs, to learn and to apply that back to your business as, and to grow as an individual. We talk about the growth mindset. Well, it's always wanting to learn more, always wanting to improve. And you, I could have stepped back then and said, look, I'm, I've got two degrees. I've got a Cambridge Law degree. I'm a qualified charter accountant. I don't need any more education. Of course you do. The learning never, ever stops. And I learned that. And that got me on a path. The next thing I was given my first public appointment at, at the National Employment Panel and the New Deal Task Force of the Department of Today, the Department of Work and Pensions. And then the next thing I became a governor of a university. And the next thing I became the youngest university chancellor in the country is chancellor of what is today the University of West London, at that time Thames Valley University. And then I joined the House of Lords as one of the youngest members at that time, um, 14 years ago. I was a handful of youngest members in the House of Lords. And the next thing, of course, I later on became Chancellor of the University of Birmingham. So what I realized, and I went to the London Business School, I went to the Harvard Business School, I'm an alumnus of three business schools because I realized the importance of nonstop lifelong learning. And as Mahatma Gandhi says, live as if you're going to die tomorrow, yes. learn as if you're going to live forever. And I really believe in that. And I've learned so much from my years at business school and from my public service and the House of Lords. I'm so lucky to be there. Um, I, I, it's such a privilege because not only do I get the opportunity to contribute and to make a difference and try to make a difference, but I, every time I'm there, I learn. Every single day that I'm in that chamber, I learn. Great. And um, obviously you spoke about, you know, how you start to learn so much more following the first eight years of COBRA. So if you knew then what you knew now uh, when you first started off what do you think you would have done differently in your first eight years of business at cobra looking back on it you you can always say with 2020 hindsight um or oh, i could have done this better or i shouldn't have done this and you can always regret and i say again there is no shortcut to actually going out there and doing it and when you are on that path, things happen. Opportunities present themselves. 
obstacles present themselves. And you've got to find a way of always getting over those obstacles and making the most of the opportunities. And you've also got to be able to be adaptable because you have decision forks in your journey where if you don't make the right decision, you don't survive. And I, there's a saying, adapt or die. Yeah. And you have to adapt or die. And you learn that along, along your journey. But the most important thing is if you have this mission and you're on a path, then when you're on that path, you will be presented with opportunities. The term serendipity, you can say being serendipity is being lucky, serendipitous, fortuitous. But Mark Durand, a professor I work with at Cambridge, at the Cambridge Judge Business School, which I've been proud to chair the advisory board for the last few years. Mark Durand describes serendipity as seeing what everyone else sees, but thinking what no one else has thought. And so when you're on that path, you see these other opportunities. And, and so that's what I've seen now. And, and it's a constant growing opportunity. And what I find is that my business experience every day helps me in what I contribute in the House of Lords, because I can bring real life experience to bear in contributing to the, my work in the House of Lords. And similarly, being a chancellor of a university, being a member of parliament, being in business, chairing my business, running my business, it all comes together and they all help each other and hopefully to do a better job at each of those things that I'm doing. Fantastic. And um, what, one thing we like to do on the show is, you know, really show, um, you know, young entrepreneurs, you know, teach them, you know, as well as about business, but also things like, you know, like we mentioned mindset, but also focus. And, and I read something um, about yourself in the past where you mentioned um, you were driving a 250 pound Citroen 2CV uh, whilst your friends are driving new BMWs and working for Goldman Sachs uh, when, when you first started your business. So how did you keep that focus on your own mission when, when there were potential distractions uh, around you? You've got to, you've got to have that focus and you've got to have that belief and, and know that yes, there is an element of sacrifice, if you could call it that, but I'll bear the car, the 295 pound green Citroen de Chevaux that needed push starting every day, that you could see the road if you look down through the holes in the floor of the car that would carry uh, 15 cases of Cobra beer, maximum if you're driving on your own, some in the front seat, back seat, and in the boot. I mean, we parked the car a little ahead of the restaurants. We're so battered. Uh, but, you know, I believed in what I was doing. And, and uh, you know, uh, 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 Mahatma Gandhi, one of my favorite sayings of his, which if I can paraphrase, is your beliefs become your thoughts. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits form your character, and your character determines your destiny. And it all starts with the belief. And I knew from day one, when I sold Cobra beer and people came back for more, I got those repeat orders. We got over 90% reorder rate wow. from the time we started. Once you get those reorders, you know your product, people like your product, and you're producing something that is genuinely different and better. That is better for the restaurant selling the product because they will sell more of it and their customers like it. And restaurants want, I learned from the restaurants right at the beginning. I'll never forget the support that the curry restaurateurs, the Bangladeshi restaurateurs, Indian restaurateurs, Pakistani restaurateurs, Sri Lankan restaurateurs, Nepalese restaurants, what they've given me, that support. And they taught me my first lesson is they put their customers first. And any important decision I made, 
I've always remembered what they taught me. And it's what does the customer actually think? And that's what's been very important to me. And um, of course, you're surrounded by, you know, other successful business people or, you know, not just in business, but their own careers and paths. What are the key traits you see in successful people and notice? I've noticed that whenever, whenever you uh, interact with, read about, come across very successful people, and you hear them tell their stories, the common trait is that they are absolutely passionate about what they do. You've got to love what you do. In my case, I mean, I, I, there's a saying, you follow your passion, not your pension. And I always say, don't do something in life unless you uh, absolutely love it. And, and so that's the, the first thing is they're passionate about it. Whether it's a great cricket, cricketer, whether it's a successful business person, um, whatever, they tend to be absolutely passionate. Next thing is that they work very hard at it. They are focused and they are dedicated to what they do and they give it their everything. Uh, and my, my father, I remember when I, when I started work, I was about to start working at what is today EY and I went to visit my father. He'd become a general in India and I asked him for some advice about work. I had to go and see him in his office and he told me, um, Lots of wonderful advice. And the best advice he gave me is he said, you're starting at the bottom, you've been given lots of tasks. The most important thing when you're given a task is to do it. The next thing is do that little bit extra that you were not asked to do. And that's the best advice that I've been given. Because what he was saying was always take initiative, always be innovative, always be creative, and always go the extra mile. And I've noticed that these people always go the extra mile. They'll always want to do that much more. Um, and that's what sets, gives them the edge. So it's, it's those traits, I think, that I've seen um, in people that makes them successful. Brilliant. That, that's great. Um, a, a phrase we use in recruitment um, is always, you know, we, we always find the most successful candidates are the ones which do more than their job description uh, and go outside and above their job description. They're the ones who we see get promoted quicker developing their own teams and, and going on to more and you know absolutely that's a great way of expressing it and I, you know, people ask me sometimes what do you what when you're hiring people what are you looking for and you know there may be certain qualifications required or whatever but the most important thing is our mantra is we hire for will rather than skill of course they're both important uh, but it's the will it's that attitude that's the most important Right. And when you're getting people with that will and attitude, uh, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, team, having that team around you is the most important thing. How do you go about building that team and building that culture from the top? Culture is not something that you can sort of switch on or switch off. You have to build a culture. And a lot of the culture actually is down to the leadership that comes from the, in an entrepreneurial company, from the founder, uh, the attitudes that you put in place, the values that you put in place. And you find that that's how then, that's how your company operates because they have to believe in those values. They have to believe in that. And that's, if you, if you talk to anyone at Cobra, uh, you will see 
they have certain values. There's that, that pride in the product, but a pride in the product based on a product that's genuinely different and better. Pride in never ever cutting any corners. And, and you know, when you, when you talk about an extraordinary brand, what is an extraordinary brand? It's based on an undeniable brand truth. It will never cut corners. It will be iconic in its look, absolutely. But also, it will provide a consistent and relevant experience time after time after time. It will build loyal brand champions, people who will seek your product out and people who will be disappointed if it's not there. And it will also deliver good results and has to be successful financially as a, as a, as a, as a, as a brand as well. So you've got all these traits. And if your people believe in a brand being a brand that delivers all these things that people respect, that customers love, then and you operate with the right values, that's what makes you succeed as, a, as an organization. Brilliant. Love that. And um, again, th thanks so much for the uh, amazing overview you've given us. And just moving into the final round, I'm sure you'll probably see it with a lot of podcasts. We, we do a quick fire round, which is typically five personalized questions answered within one word and one sentence. Uh, and we'll go into that now. Um, so first question, um, as you mentioned, your, your Citroen earlier, what would you say is your favorite car now? My favorite car is my Mercedes E320 Coupe that I bought almost 24 years ago before our older son was born. And I've driven all four of our children back from the hospital after they were born home in that car. And I never want to sell that car. That's my favorite car. I love that sentiment. And growing up, who would you say was your you know, idol, celebrity idol? I was very lucky. So I would say that my, my absolute inspirational figure was my father. And, of, and my great-grandfather, who, so my father taught me all about leadership. And my great-grandfather was the person, the businessman, the philanthropist, the public servant, the parliamentarian, who's inspired me from four generations later. And, and my mother, my gosh, how much my mother has taught me. I cannot even start. I've been so lucky. Um, and to this day, my mother advises me, my 83-year-old mother, who I absolutely love. Brilliant. And um, again, I read that you um, split your time between the UK, India, and South Africa. Um, what's your favorite country? All three of them. <laughs> I, I genuinely, I'm an honorary South African. I've met my, my wife there, in, it, you know, as I said, one year after I've, I've been to South Africa for 27, 28 years, sometimes many times a year. And I love South Africa. And we have a home there as well. And all her family are there. Some of her family are still um, on the old family farm or Uncle and Aunt's family farm, which we visit every time we go there in the middle of South Africa. I love Cape Town. It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Beautiful. And of course, India. I just love India. Um, I, I step off the plane. I'm at home there. I come back to the UK and I'm at home over here in the UK. And I love this country, Britain. I think it is the most amazing country. The opportunity that it has given somebody like me has come over as a 19-year-old student with nothing on scholarships and with student loans to pay off when I started. 
uh, taken out from India scholarship loans and the opportunities this country has given me and, and other immigrants in this country has been phenomenal. This country is now a country where anyone can get anywhere regardless of race, religion or background. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the next question, I think you might have answered it earlier on, but what would you advise younger people or anybody to work for? Money or follow their passion? Follow your passion, not your pension. <laughs> Great. And, and last question, what would you say is the, your proudest moment in life? You could say um, I'm very proud of having created Cobra Beer, uh, a, a brand that never existed before and that today is a household name here in the UK that everyone, everywhere, whichever part of the country uh, loves. Great. And um, if anybody wants to follow you on, on either any you know, social media platforms, well, where could they find you? They'll find me on Twitter. That's the one they'll find me most on. Um, and, uh, and, and, and others, I mean, yeah, but Twitter would be, I would say, the, the number one place to find me. And also another place you can find Lord Curran and his books. Absolutely brilliant for any advice if you want to hear more, uh, you know, about the startup and, and take that on. Um, and Lord Curran, you mentioned you wanted to give some advice before we go. Yes, in this time of the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis where we are living in this world of uncertainty and ambiguity, uh, anxiousness, pressure, uh, for the whole world, really, and it's a health crisis, an economic crisis. Um, I was given some great advice by Professor John Quelch, who taught me at Harvard Business School and was the dean of the London Business School. And he sent uh, this message towards the beginning of the crisis. And I've been, it's been helping me all the way through. He said that there are seven C's of leadership in a crisis. The first C is calm. Next, confidence. Communicate, collaborate, community, compassion, and cash. The seven C's of leadership in a crisis. Brilliant. We couldn't have ended it any better. Thank you so much again for your time. Really, really honoured. And, um, you know, this is going to help so many people. And we really, really appreciate that. Please uh, remember to like, share, subscribe, engage. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Great. Thank you so much. And I think we've covered all the ground. You're very thorough and um, very impressed by the research you've done and how well you've structured it. So thank you.